here I am, or rather here's my spirit being, projected into the astral plane. Don't worry, my body is safe and sound back home in our little commune, free of concern of world events. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Yes, my flesh person is nestled in my sleep hammock, tucked tightly under a pile of infinity gravity scarves I got at our solstice swap. It seems that no one really knew what to buy for me, despite my Amazon wish list being very public. So they all got me the same thing, and these scarves are so heavy, so dense, that once I added the fourth one, I completely blacked out. But before I did, I remember Galinda calling up her Peruvian panpipe playlist on Spotify and telling me that this new year also meant the start of a new age. And when I asked her what age, she said Aquarius. And I recall thinking, are there any other ages, or is it just always the age of Aquarius? Because I'd very much like to see the age of the Libra just once. We Libras are so good at nesting. I know we'd have a solid and comfortable age of it. So I guess my mind was thinking about that and then uh, zapped me out here to the water-bearer constellation when I lost consciousness. Out here I'm bathed in the white-hot dust of an expanding star. Clouds of gas and some surprisingly large space rocks pass right through me. Not unlike Linda Coleman's solstice mushroom casserole. Remind me to get that recipe so I can burn it along with my other regrets from 2020. It's great to have burned so many scraps of paper, but between that and the absolute mound of pine dust left over from our solstice shrub, I have a feeling I'll be doing my New Year's cleansing ritual quite a few times before I get it all. My intentions are set, though, and I hope yours are, too. Because right now, our intention is to talk about good vibrations, sparkly sequins, and the radiant possibilities of the desert as we open up the portal that leads us to the Deep Night. Deep Night. Oh, friends, I'm back. <laughs> Hello, it's me, Dale Seaver, and I'm so hopeful, so optimistic despite everything about being your host through this next hour of regrets and revelations we call The Deep Night. We come to you tonight, as we always do, from the foul banks of the Gowanus. The Gowanus, oh, you can tell, you can tell the Gowani is ready for a new year. It's kind of shimmering, expanding in parts, bubbling. You just know it's activating something deep within itself. And that's something we should all be doing, isn't it? Stimulate the black mayonnaise within. Let's talk about stimulating our guest today. You know, I used to love going to the roller disco, and my guest uh, tonight stirs up some good memories of that time in my life, going around and around at the Calm Roller Rink in Pennsylvania or tripping the night fantastic somewhere in Bucks County. There's so much to love about the pulse and energy of a small-town roller rink. Of course, the food is terrific. And no doors on the restrooms. Well, that means easy roll in and easy roll out. And always hot jams on the hi-fi, courtesy of masterful platter spinner Alan DJ Wallhugger Paladino. Well into his 40s and still DJing at a local skate joint, Alan was living the dream. 
He drove a fully loaded 1992 crystal blue-colored Ford Taurus wagon and kept it parked out back diagonally across two spaces so that no one ever nicked it. He wore lots of gray polo shirts and various shades of brown and or beige and always had on a pair of Adidas running pants. You could almost feel the energy in the room become electric when Alan ascended to his booth and sat down in that bright orange pleather chair that was artfully, almost carelessly patched together with silver duct tape. And he would lean into that small microphone above the soundboard, and he would use his low, smoky voice to rumble out the words we all long to hear in that distinctive southeastern Pennsylvania accent. This is an all-skate. All-skate. And then, wow, that needle would drop, and the maple oval came alive with the rolling of wheels on wood, and we'd skate to the music that defined the era. Uh, multiple eras, really... <laughs> I'm not sure which era it was, but it was defined by songs from the likes of Phil Collins and Wilson Phillips and my favorite, whoever wrote the Hokey Pokey. But every now and again, he'd throw us a deep cut with Glenn Campbell's rolling from his curious foray into disco on the album It's the World Gone Crazy. And friend, we sure went crazy for that tune. One night, I rolled after Alan as he headed for his car after the last couple skate, and I said, Al, you got to keep that disco going, man. I'm nuts about it. Well, the next few nights were like a fever dream for me and the other skate rats who loved disco. Too tall Timothy Plant, who had a full mustache in 10th grade and wore a white jumpsuit to skate in with his long black hair held in place with a matching white terry cloth headband, Denise and Daria Dubray, the twins who popped gum at the same time and had teased their bangs into giant balls that seemed to float atop their heads. It was a weekend of disco and roller skating, and we loved it. But then I had to skip a few weeks due to a wicked blister and some exams coming up, and the next thing I knew, Alan had been let go. The new owners had installed an automatic jukebox-like machine that played, you know, top 40 hits in a regular rotation. Well, I stopped going altogether after that and went to college and then moved away. But every time I see a crystal blue Ford Taurus, I think of Alan and the magical week that disco took over the roller rink and all was right in the world. More disco is what I'm saying. And while our guest does a great many things, it was fun to talk to her about disco's enduring influence and the kind of music we're going to be listening to as things hopefully, hopefully start to get a teensy bit better. And I will note that, yes, we were dealing with Wi-Fi in the desert, so apologies if there's any choppiness ahead. And this episode features a special surprise from our new printer, which... <laughs> The darn thing felt it appropriate to chime in with some bleeps and blorps, even though I did not ask for their input. They may be interviewed on a future episode, but, but this was not the one. Uh, because my guest is Pearl Charles. Pearl has been playing music since she was five years old. You know, at five, I was scared of a stuffed clown and had hair like Dorothy Hamill. But I bet if somebody had given me a saxophone, <laughs> I would have figured it out. Uh, <laughs> At 18, Pearl formed a country duo, the Driftwood Singers, and a few years later joined the Blank Tapes as a drummer. Uh, her first album, the self-titled Pearl Charles, came out in 2015, and she's been racking up acclaim and attention ever since. In 2018, she released the album uh, Sleepless Dreamer, uh, which Rough Trade described as the best country pop we've heard in years. I'm telling you, people are responding. 
I responded. She's got a new album called Magic Mirror, which I've been uh, wearing out the grooves of my Spotify playlist listening to uh, the first three songs of it. Uh, the album is out from Canine Records everywhere on January 15th, 2021. Let's go now to my conversation with Pearl Charles. Pearl Charles, welcome to the deep night. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, it's wonderful to have you uh, joining me from out there in the desert. Now, let me ask you a question first off. Uh, would you be interested in joining a commune that I've started here in Brooklyn? Uh, I mean, any other year you might have piqued my interest, but I'm pretty grateful to be out in the desert during this pandemic away from people. <laughs> I get it. I get it. It turns out it's a little bit of a mistake. <laughs> I'm dealing with uh, a lot of chickens, several misguided teens, and uh, yes, it's a kind of pandemic bubble that uh, I'd like to swap for any other bubble. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly. I will say I am a cult fanatic, so you've piqued my interest. Oh, well, what, what, what about it is, is attractive to you? I mean, I, I'm more interested as a spectator rather than a participator, if you will. But um, I don't know what it is. I'm into scams. I'm into cults. Those are all kind of my weird interests. I like true crime, all of the above. Yeah. Yeah. I like rules. And if somebody just could take care of a lot of that stuff for me, I'd be happy to go along with the program. <laughs> well, I mean, that's really more relevant than ever, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, yes. That's why I'm so confounded by what's going on, uh, because I'm just as happily, you know, okay, yeah, this is fine. Let's let's do it. I mean, certainly be creative within that, but I know that I would be very susceptible to uh, cult life. I'm definitely into commune life. It doesn't have to necessarily turn into a, a cult, but I mean, sometimes these things start out innocently enough, and we know how they end. Yes. <laughs> Yes, with the uh, number two trying to claim power and then going into some very weird directions and probably some sex stuff. I mean, there's got to be sex stuff. That's like, that's the quintessential cult rule book. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's right there. It's, <laughs> it, I guess everybody gets the, you know, the four stages or something and, and move through it. But uh, uh, so, uh, well, thank you for joining me on the on the cosmic waves here. A new age is upon us, uh, commune or not. <laughs> Are you ready for this moment? I'm always ready for this moment. This moment's all there ever is, so let's do it. Oh, oh, Pearl, I like that thinking very much. But did you mark the solstice or the changing of the new year in any uh, way? Were there any rituals involved? Actually, yes. I did some burning of, you know, some things I wanted to leave behind and set some intentions for the new year. And I feel like it's been going pretty well so far. So, I mean, maybe it worked. <laughs> uh, I bet it did. Uh, that's good. And when you're out there in Joshua Tree, in the desert, my goodness, that's a great place for rituals, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, our view of the sky is just unparalleled. So we can definitely like get out under the full moon, do some charging of our crystals and yes. all that good stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, I did find the uh, uh, maybe I just didn't go to the right places. Uh, I didn't find as many crystals as I wanted to within within Joshua Tree. I know there's a great place on the road from Phoenix to Palm Springs uh, uh, on Route 10 there uh, called Gem World. And they've got the crystals by the pound. And some great conversation with the people that work there, <laughs> too. Are you talking about the store in Quartzsite? That's it. Oh, yeah. I know. I mean, 
I don't know the name of the owner of that store, but he walks around naked and plays the organ. That guy is just, I mean, that's a quintessential stop on the <laughs> drive, on the tour drive out of Southern California into the rest of the country. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh, if it's the same one I'm thinking of, they also have a jerky place right across the street. That may very well be true. Pretty tasty jerky, by the way. <laughs> I'm a jerky fan. Yeah, sure. You have to be if you're out there. And right? if you're yeah. on tour, I mean, there's not that many options. You know, you got to find what you can survive off of. <laughs> yeah. Do you think of all the touring that you've done as jerky probably the thing you miss the most? I mean, I don't know if I'd put it at the absolute top of the list, but it's up there. <laughs> Number three or something, always having a good pouch full. Uh, I did love the um, uh, uh, the flea market out there. It is wonderful. There's some real characters there. And again, not a lot of crystals, but some nice hats. But there is that little crystal cave. Did you get to check that out? Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> oh, you know, I did I mean, enjoy that. We're, Miniature we're fictional worlds. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the crochet museum also lovely out there. So cool. I mean, there's so much great outsider art in the desert, and it's definitely an inspiring place for all sorts of artists, musicians, and visual artists. Clearly, and I mean, the list goes on. Sure. And, and how long have you had an attachment to that place? Well, I just moved out here a month ago myself, but my family has had a place in Joshua Tree for the last 14 years or so. So uh, it's interesting because um, I actually listened to a really great podcast called California City, which is combines all my favorite interests into one. It's about a scam in the desert and it's a real estate scam. And they they did a bonus episode uh with people who have like a, you know, who know about the desert and they were talking about the Salton Sea and just basically the love-hate relationship of Southern Californians with the desert and how every few years it undergoes a renaissance of sorts where people start moving out there again and the property values go up, but then it's a boom and bust cycle, so it will crash. And um, so my parents were kind of ahead of the current boom and it's really booming right now, especially with the pandemic. Um, people yeah. want to get out of the city and... So, yeah, now I'm in it, and we'll see if we're going to stick it out to the bust. I, I'm in it. I'm, you know, I'm a diehard desert gal, so I think I'll be here till the end. Uh, I think you've got the right spirit, certainly. And do you think it has influenced you musically? Oh, for sure. I mean, even way beyond just moving out here. Um, my mom turned me on to tons of country music growing up, but I was born and raised in LA. So I feel like when I was younger, whether it was just because it was my mom that was turning me onto it, or I just felt like it didn't represent my identity. I didn't love that music as much as I do now. And regardless though, it was seeping in. And when I got to be old enough to drive myself and bring my friends out to the desert to party, I think that was a big part of why I was like, uh, not as into it when we first started going, not just the country music, but also the desert because I was too young and I wasn't autonomous. So I was just like, oh, I want to spend time with my friends or whatever, annoying teenager stuff. And then eventually I was like, oh, cool, I can bring my friends out here. So we started going out and then there was something that just really drew me to cosmic country. And I didn't even know about Graham Parsons at the time and all the lore there. And I mean, you know, I like the story whether or not uh, it's true, but I felt like his spirit somehow brought me to that music that I'd always, you know, known growing up, but didn't appreciate until I came out here. Right. Well, uh, I did oh, Cosmic Country. Fantastic. But I also wanted to talk to you about this, this 
other th- word that you've paired with country, which is disco. <laughs> Something that I love uh, uh, deeply and don't have the chance to talk about enough, as it turns out. Uh, where, how did you get to, to, to combine those two words, disco and country? You know, it's funny. I You are actually my second interview today. And earlier oh. someone was asking me to describe my music. And I said disco country. And I've been saying that for a long time. But it's like disco is such a specific word that sometimes I don't even know if it really fully encompasses what I mean. I definitely think that's part of it. But, you know, there's ABBA and the Bee Gees. I mean, the Bee Gees, everyone thinks just straight disco. But like with a band like ABBA, like... I just I don't know if it's more just classic pop with like a sparkly dancey element, which I guess maybe is all that disco is. I don't know. But um, yeah, I kind of you know, the reason I really got into combining these genres of country and then whatever else you want to put with it, whether it's soft rock, disco, all that kind of stuff was because I heard the song called A Lesson in Leaving by Dottie West, which I think is like maybe 1979. Um, or at least right around there of the turn of the 70s to the 80s. And I couldn't think of any other way to describe it other than country disco. And it's become like the template for my music. I heard it when I was on tour with Connor Oberst, um, driving on the back road somewhere in Texas between who knows where and who knows where. I don't even know. Nowheresville, USA, somewhere. (laughs) And it was some classic country radio station. And I was just like, I my mind was blown. I never heard anything like before. And it changed my life. (laughs) <laughs> well, thank goodness for Dottie uh, coming along when she did. And that would have, prep- and as you say, uh, y- your work is uh, more complicated than just one thing plus another. Uh, there's many different layers to it. And that song, coming at when it did, probably a more mature uh, part of disco, too, because certainly there's a lot of early things that were happening with that uh, genre before the commercialization of it, really. And by the time you get to the Bee Gees or whatnot, um, that's a kind of uh, established kind of a... And to me, uh, the disco has an element of uh, queerness uh, in it. It has an element of other. It has uh, other from a white male perspective. Uh, There's something very uh, beautiful and strange happening with it um, that then people latch on to. Of course, it has a compelling beat, too, (laughs) which can't be overlooked. Absolutely. And I mean, I don't know if you've watched the Speechies documentary on HBO, which Not is yet. fantastic and I highly recommend it. They talk a lot about how um, disco was hated on by people because it was a black and queer medium and um, and then how it was accepted when it was done by white men. And I mean, that's all its own complicated story. But I definitely recommend looking into that in the disco, disco demolition derby and all of that stuff. Right, right. Yeah, it's always amazing how one person gets slighted and then they change the course of history. That's all it takes. <laughs> yeah, be, be kind to one another, <laughs> respect each other. But anyhow, uh, and I, as I understand it, uh, you're the, one of the music videos that you've done for Magic Mirror, which is your album that's coming out, uh, is a real disco fantasy, is it not? Absolutely. I can't yes. think of a better way to describe it. <laughs> Well, I'm very jealous because it looks like you've got the light-up cape that I've had my eye on (laughs) for about a year. I mean, I think that that video itself definitely nails the disco aesthetic. So if you want to call it disco country, that's a great place to look. Um, And I really love that that 
you know, I, I actually just had to like write a little statement about that video and it made me think of everything it's paying homage to. And I mentioned, you know, Soul Train, Midnight Special, Top of the Pops, all that kind of stuff. But also you can't leave out Hee Haw. That was another perfect example. I mean, they weren't very disco, but it was the same sort of concert film or TV show late night format and it addressed country music. So I think it's kind of the best of both worlds. Absolutely. Um, and going back through some of your uh, earlier albums there with Sleep, Sleepless Dreamer uh, and the song Night Tides, I mean, you start to feel a little bit of that big collar energy, don't you? Some of these uh, ideas were percolating all along. That song was really initially inspired by... Um what is the name of the song? It's a Neil Young song on On the Beach, and right now I'm blanking on it. But that song, whatever I'm thinking of, of course, can't think of the name of it right now, so it's not going to be very helpful. Go listen to On the Beach, and maybe you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, Find it. <laughs> it has a disco country, you know, raw element. It has a disco beat, but it's made with, you know, guitars and instead of i mean i don't know disco was still kind of being made with organic instruments that's the funny thing is like nowadays dance music is very electronic and i think that's another cool thing in the bg's documentary they talk about they actually talk about how their drummer was out of town because of like a death in the family or something so they ended up using his drumming but looping it to make staying alive and it was like one of the first uses of loops in rock and roll music and so they were kind of starting to meld those things together. Wow. Well, there is some. There must be something to uh, uh, the hand to the to the bass to the bass string, and feeling that, and having that pulse be a very human pulse, isn't there? Definitely. I mean, my bass player is one of the funkiest guys I know. He is always <laughs> on stage doing a little dance, and people. I mean, it. People comment on it after the show. They're like, "That guy just looked like he was having the best time," and I'm like, "He really was." <laughs> <laughs> And how many instruments do you play? Oh, you know, I dabble. I play guitar and I play piano, but I'm definitely not a virtuoso on any sort of instrument. I mean, I've been playing both things for many, many years, but I really think I put more of my emphasis on songwriting and singing. And those are where my expertise lie more. But that being said, I can definitely write a song on piano or guitar and accompany myself on either of those things. And that's like kind of the purpose they serve for me. Then I just employ the most badass guitar players and drummers and bass players that I know, keyboard players, whatever, anything. And I'm like, you guys, you could do it better than me. So you'll do that. I'll do this. It all works out. <laughs> well, that if you get a funky bass player in the mix, you're already halfway home, aren't you? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was also, uh, you had turned me on to, uh, in just because I was reading through some articles and things as I do in preparing for a great interview, uh, <laughs> you turned me on to uh, the joy of cooking and some of these early 70s. Uh, sounds that were happening out there in San Francisco and the West Coast, early seventies. Such a, it's a time I feel like maybe it gets revisited every now and again, much like the desert, as you were saying, a kind of boom and bust cycle. Um, but there's something about it because certainly the late sixties gets a lot of attention. Certainly, if you're the local PBS station during a pledge drive. But uh, the the late '60s takes up all this energy. Uh, but the 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 early '70s such a potent time, a, a time sort of of healing, of of great honesty, of great experimentation. 
Oh, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I'm a huge early 70s fan. I'd say that's really where my focus and passion lies in music. I mean, none of that could have happened without the 60s. But I mean, you got to look at like the post Manson, post Altamont time, like things really changed. And people talk about um, the nature of Laurel Canyon really changing after that. And what used to kind of be an open door policy for all the musicians in the canyon kind of became a more paranoid cocaine fueled but also reasonably you know their fear was reasonable to be paranoid because people were getting murdered and uh the times they were a changing so as as bobby d likes to say so i feel like we definitely needed the 60s obviously to change the way the direction that music was going in but after 69 i mean the world changed a lot and i think that for better or for worse that's how we got the music that I love and hold so dear. So I think I'm, I'm into like a little bit beyond, you know, the flower power and the, of course I love peace and love and all of that, but I'm also realistic. So. <laughs> yeah. But also like you, you still got to get up and go to work the next day. Uh, like what, what is the day to day life after you've gone through the revolution or gone through some kind of tra traumatic event even. And I think that's what's so fascinating to me at thinking about this current moment and what comes next. And what might be a period of experimentation, of blossoming, of great, who knows? I've had the same thought. And I mean, I feel like it's definitely caused us all to go inward and look at ourselves as artists and see what we want to say and what we want to do and who we want to spend our time with, because it's not so casual as it once was. And I think for me and my group of musicians and collaborators that I work with, it's been it's been fruitful, but you know, it's been hard. So we'll see, we'll see what comes out on the other side. I think there's going to be some really good music that's been made in this time. Yeah. Well, what do you think will be the, the nature of it really? Do you think it will be uh, wild? Will be uh, uh, unchained? Will be what, what strikes you? I mean, you know, obviously I can't speak for everyone, but I think perhaps a return to more organic sounds and um, you know, like, less of the pop driven mainstream that we've had for a long time, maybe because people will be looking for something a little more authentic, not to criticize that necessarily, but I'm just saying, I think I could see people wanting stuff that's coming from a more emotional and authentic place after this. And maybe even more connected as we're talking about like actual human contact to instruments <laughs> producing sounds <laughs> i mean human there is something contact to instruments and human contact with each other i mean i think that like that's been one of the unexpected upsides is because we've spent so much time on the internet during this lockdown i've actually been able to connect with a lot of people that i don't know if i ever would have connected with if i wasn't sitting at home on social media <laughs> so for better or for worse i miss being out on the road and i miss connecting with people like that but i also think that this has kind of opened a new door and I'm, I'm really excited to see where it goes when we actually get to meet these people in person that we've been scheming things up with uh behind the scenes online <laughs> yeah i think legs are going to be very big post pandemic <laughs> Yeah, right now it's all about, you know, shoulders and up. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've seen an ankle in months. Uh, <laughs> uh, but that does bring up the question, where do you uh, draw on, uh, where do you find inspiration during this time? Because I'll be quite honest, I'm tired of excavating my own self after all that. 
after all this, I'm done with it. I want to look at a leaf, a sunset, anything. Uh, but well, what have you been doing? Because once you've watched every episode of every TV show you've ever seen on Hulu, uh, you well, know, I don't have much more that, to say. So. <laughs> Not going to lie. Um <laughs> My guilty What's pleasure. your go-to? What's your Terrible go-to? reality TV. Like, I'm embarrassed to even admit it, but at the same time, I've kind of just, like, taken on a thing of, like, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I just believe in pleasures, and if you like it, then you should like it, and no one has to question it or tell you why you shouldn't, you know? So if it yep. gets you through the day, more power to you. But I'll where tell do you, I get... I'll tell you, it, I'll tell, before you answer, I'll tell you mine, just so you don't feel any shame around this, is that I've... I watched this darn show when it came out, but I've gone back and watched America's Next Top Model uh, from season one. Oh, I mean, I totally watched that when it came on. I might have to revisit it. But it sounds well, like we're on the same let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, it gets better. Epi- uh, season uh, 20 to 22, wow. <laughs> I don't even I'm know dazzled. if I ever made it that far. I didn't realize no. it ran that long. I know I didn't. <laughs> but now I have. <laughs> I actually did have to tell my boyfriend about the... Um, God, what is the name of the girl who she who Tyra freaks out on? She's like, we were all rooting for you. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yep. There's a few <laughs> of them. that. Go, that go this through. is a repeated theme. <laughs> yeah. She gets disappointed when the, when the people that maybe she finds on Instagram or finds that the working at the ice cream shop uh, don't don't make it. And uh, she lets them know. She's just so invested, you know. God, isn't it true? Just... Uh, a really compassionate uh, supermodel. She puts the super in model. Oh, absolutely. That was a good one. I liked that a lot. <laughs> um, but, you know, beyond reality TV, which is yes. a huge part of my day today, I really love um, these podcasts and these, like, uh, playlists uh, by these playlisters, curators, DJs. Um, a lot of them are on Mixcloud. I don't know if you are familiar with that app, but it's kind of like, you know, Spotify for the independent bunch. And I'm pretty like addicted to finding these playlists of people. I mean, that's how I learned about the joy of cooking who you mentioned earlier. And that's been like a life changing discovery for me this year. So I'd say like, you know, it's the crate digging that I'm doing less of, although I still try to get out to the thrifts and the um, uh, flea markets and whatever, whenever I can, but, and I'm an eBay Etsy you know, stalker, all that. But uh, letting someone else do the digital crate digging for me, if you will, um, has been really inspirational. And these people are just such amazing curators. I'm specifically thinking of a few, um, this one called Pastoralia, this one called Torn and Frayed, who I just did a guest playlist for. And yeah, there's just a bunch. And and that's been really inspirational because all of that, not all of it, but like a lot of the music on there is stuff that you can't find on Spotify. So you would have to really dig deeper and it's worth it (laughs) (laughs) absolutely well i mean that joy of cooking thing got me right back to those early i used to live in san francisco for a time so any any moment i get to think about san francisco is a wonderful moment (laughs) for me um just just to think about it that i didn't live there at that time but my goodness oh it's just so satisfying and and stimulating and and, and wonderful to think about. Do you spend a lot of time there? Well, I had an ex-boyfriend who lived there who I was in a band with for a while. And to be honest, I feel like even in the time that I've been going there, like, I mean, I've been going there throughout my whole life, 
being from California, but like right. the time that I was going there as an adult and really getting to explore it, I still feel like there was a tiny bit of that left. These days, it's not much of it. The feeling has yes. really changed. But um, even getting to have a taste of it as it's everything that people, you know, made the pilgrimage there for. It really, I mean, hardly strictly bluegrass that free festival in the park like sure i really felt like i was back in the 60s in those days <laughs> yeah. it permeates it's still there it's part of it's like a layer of sediment everywhere around there that spirit i would say it was a contact high but i'd be lying if i said i wasn't <laughs> actually on drugs <laughs> sure <laughs> it's a groovy place man uh <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I I love it. I love thinking about it. Um, and uh, well, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on and was so keen to talk to you uh, too is because you you went to Cal Arts as well. Is that right? That is right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it seems to me that uh, perhaps because you grew up around artists, went to school around artists, lived a very artistic life, I imagine, and maybe just have a, a sensibility about that. But there's a very uh, keen awareness of the visual element of performing and presenting oneself. I really uh, found that quite compelling. Oh, well, I mean, first of all, fashion and music go hand in hand to me. So I mean, sure. and that's only one aspect of the visual presentation, but that was an easy jumping off point. I just, I love vintage clothes. As I said, I love digging, whether it's for records or for clothes or whatever. Um, and I love old stuff. So <laughs> that was an easy one for me. But then I don't know. I mean, I just kind of, I've been so lucky to get to know so many incredible visual artists who have been able to assist me in, in executing my vision and really like bringing out that side of it I'm I definitely have my own ideas but I think I think one of my specialties musically and visually is curation and kind of finding the right people to help me um and you know I'm a solo artist quote unquote but I couldn't do anything that I do without the amazing team of people around me so I think I've been blessed in that regard Sure, sure. And you have the sensi sensibility to know where to look and what you want in terms of what to, uh, and to be an active collaborator, it sounds like. So that's uh, wonderful. Uh, although, isn't that something that you miss with the um, crate uh, diving? A bit, uh, uh, <laughs> and you probably, I don't know if you get it on Mixcloud or one of these, uh, is to see the visual part of the album. It, it can be so that can be half the package right there uh, in terms of your uh, what it evokes and when you're listening to the music. Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely that. Or even just coming across a great record cover and you're like, I have no idea what this is, but I need to know what's inside of here. <laughs> I mean, I do miss that part. But I feel like, you know, we've been really lucky in terms of visual representation on the Internet with things like Instagram and Pinterest and all of that. So, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I spend a lot of time doing the crate digging on there because like <laughs> sure. go look at hashtag ABBA or whatever. And like, I mean, you could just spend hours. They all have amazing photos and amazing videos. It's just, it never ends. Right. Right. I guess it's fortunate too, that they went with the square format because <laughs> man, you get the whole album cover exactly. there. Exactly, That's perfect. Although for music videos, it's a little, eh. it's less good. I know. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> I get it. Um, uh, and were there some? Do you have some favorite visual experiences or places that you would go to in Los Angeles um, that that maybe uh, you would want to tell anybody about? 
I mean, I'm thinking of they have great museums there too, or the Velas Lavase Panorama, or experiences like that. I've actually played at the Panorama once in my old timey oh, band because yes. they would do old time concerts there. Yeah, it's an amazing um, place, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, well, I I'll just shout out right now some of the spots that are closing as we speak, which aren't. I mean, I I love them because they are visually stunning, but I, they maybe wouldn't be the first places I would name to answer your question, but like Cafe 101 is closing. They said that Oil Can Harry's is closing. I mean, these are some of my favorite LA spots. So definitely going to miss those places that felt like they were holdovers from the old days of the 60s and 70s. And, you know, that's one of the things that's so great about LA. I mean, there's amazing architecture. And like you said, there's amazing museums. But I mean, our city is suffering, just as I'm sure many people's are. And it's really sad to see. But Hopefully we can work on doing some preservation because I don't want to lose those things that make L.A. L.A. Yeah. And part of the visual identity of a place, too, is, I mean, so many photos taken inside those places with the people that you're following or listening to. Uh, it's a, a tremendous uh, a loss. And we hope in some way something can be preserved for sure. Um with the album, and the reason I say the, the visual thing, too, is because I'm sure that it's in the music video, uh, and you had some hand in bringing everybody together to create that disco fantasy. Um, but uh, to, the, to the album itself, I'm wild about all the songs that I've heard so far, just the three that are, on the, the, that are out there. But um, Take Your Time really speaks to me. Well, thank you. I mean, it's really, really interesting and fun to hear what um, vibes with different people because it really is so different. But I think that kind of speaks to the album. It's pretty diverse. Um, I mean, I think there's definitely a through line, but I'd say Take Your Time is one of the rootsier songs that kind of leans into uh, the influences of like the Grateful Dead and like more like a jam band thing. And a lot of people have said to me like, wow, it's really brave that you allowed like three guitar players just to solo on one song and I was like wasn't brave I just like it <laughs> I'm not doing I'm like not trying to take any crazy risks just for the sake of taking risks I'm just like I love great guitar playing what can I say the more the merrier um so I think I do kind of want to lean further into that I think that it seems like that has been uh very like received very positively so I'm really happy to hear that oh yeah and I think the message is, is right, and uh, certainly um, it made me think about the evolution of one's creative process and one's creative life as, as we attempt to do this thing. Um, I, do you know a lot about eels? The band? No, the mysterious creature. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can only say that I've eaten a few in my life. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. We all have. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, I've been reading this book, The Book of Eels, and uh, it's just fascinating because they, they start out deep in the sea. Nobody's exactly sure where. Little see-through things. They mature into little glass eels that make their ways to ponds and streams and lakes. Then they mature again. They completely transform into an almost unrecognizable being, uh, and then the, what we imagine the eels. And then they, do, they could wait 50 years and then transform again and then return back through the ponds and lakes and streams out to this mysterious spot in the ocean to have the thing all start over again. And isn't that what a career is like? Oh, I missed the last part of you of what you said. You said, sorry, you started to cut out a bit. The last thing oh, I'm I sorry. heard was, 
they return to the mysterious place to spawn, I'm guessing. Is that what you were saying? That's it, yes, to start the whole thing over again, to ensure a new generation can continue. And then I and said, isn't that question, like a career? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Oh. <laughs> there was a question. <laughs> I just bring you on to tell you about eels. That's uh, that's the whole. No, I was saying that. I mean, it, uh, hey, I've isn't... always loved to learn something new. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all do. <laughs> but uh, I was to say, for me, that's what a career in the arts feels like. You, 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 you start out in an unknown, mysterious way. You start to get a little bit of traction. You change yourself. You evolve. You move. You're still essentially you, but you may wait for a long time in the muck. But eventually you, you, you rise again, and then you can return to ensure that the next group gets a chance to go along. Sort of like an eel or sort of like a phoenix, if you will. <laughs> if you prefer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I recommend the book. It's uh, <laughs> the book. I might just have to check it out. I have a book about bats here, which is very desert appropriate. Yeah, just replace the word bats with eels, and it's pretty. <laughs> it's the circle Eagle, of it's, life, you know? It's, it's universal. <laughs> That's right. Oh, but we all are endlessly morphing and adapting, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's what the album's about. And um, that's what the concept of the magic mirror is, is like um, it's a mirror that you can look in and it's always going to show you where you're at at that moment in time, whether you want to see it or not. So it's very real. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, well, I'm uh, obviously taken with eels, and uh, I'm so taken with your music as well, Pearl. It's uh, terrific. Um, and uh, I look forward to listening to the full thing when it comes out when? January 15th. Yes, there it is. <laughs> That's going to be terrific. Will you be doing any streaming shows or virtual touring or anything like that to promote the album? Yes, I will, actually. A little bit before uh, the record comes out on the 12th, we'll be doing a stream for Rough Trade. So definitely be sure to tune into that. Terrific. Great. And uh, the rest of it, we'll put the website and all that kind of stuff on there. But um, th this has been so terrific, Pearl. Thank you for joining me here in the deep night. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'd love to do it again sometime. Absolutely, and I wish you all the success in the world and uh, good health and safety out there and, and continue to be inspired. Definitely. Same to you. Okay. Talk to you soon. Wow, that episode had it all. Eels, disco, early 70s San Francisco. Some great memories shared there. And I'm so glad Pearl could join me. As is customary when we have a musician on the program, we like to include a song on the show. So here's a track from Pearl's new album, Magic Mirror, a song we mentioned during our conversation, Take Your Time. And sometimes that's just good advice. But right now, it's a good song. I hear your stars on the rise. Don't you let it pass you by. You were busy getting high. Why don't you open up your eyes? Take your time, you're all right. It's gonna be just fine.
What a great way to start the new year. Looking forward to something. At last, I hope you've all made it through intact, in good health. And I hope we're able to find some time to, to do the grieving and mourning that we need to do and then to shine again once more. Let's get through the next couple of weeks, though clearly they're going to be <laughs> challenging, my goodness. Uh, <laughs> and look for Pearl Charles and her new album, Magic Mirror, on all the platforms, January 15th, uh, from K9 Records. Try to buy it through uh, uh, the, 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 the band camp, one of those, one of the things that actually gets the musicians uh, some uh, little bit of the cash, you understand. It's important to support uh, musicians directly whenever you can do that. It's, uh, it's important. It's the right thing to do. Now, if you want to be in touch uh, for any reason, send us a note here at daleradio at gmail.com or visit us on Instagram at daleseaver. It's the handle there. Thank you so much for listening and tuning in. And uh, till next time, remember that although this night is ending, a bright new day is just ahead. Deep Night with Dale is produced and performed by James Bewley. Season theme song by Mariam Cadus of Space Moth. Season podcast icon by Philippa Beleza. Incidental music heard throughout the program by the talented roster at Howler Hills Farm in Ohio. Remember to rate and review the program on Apple Podcasts or tune in and stream the show on Spotify, SoundCloud, Pandora, or Stitcher, wherever you find fine audio content. To see any of our live shows or other short videos, visit our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Radio, and follow us on Instagram at Seaver is the handle. Thanks again for listening, and remember this season to keep your portals open and at a safe distance. <laughs>